used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to Animal Voices, Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM CFRO, Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, BC, Canada, unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, December 20th, 2019. I'm your host, Elise Jacobson, and I'm joined here in the studio today by my guest co-host, Megan Beatty. Hello. And our control room operator, Allison Cole. Hi there, and welcome, Megan. Thanks. <laughs> our feature our interview today is with Canadian psychologist and primatologist Dr. Anne Russen. Dr. Russen is a researcher and professor of psychology at York University in Toronto, whose work focuses on learning and intelligence in ex-captive Bornean orangutans. She is widely published in the fields of primate behavior and ecology, is executive director of the Borneo Orangutan Society of Canada, and is the author of several books on great apes. She was awarded the President's Research Excellence Award at York University in 2017 and the Pongo Environmental Award this year. Dr. Russen has also served as lead script advisor on the docu-soap series Orangutan Jungle School, which had its season two premiere on December 1st and airs every Sunday at 8pm on Love Nature. She will be speaking with us a little bit about the show as well as about her research on orangutans, most notably with Alba, the only known albino orangutan on the planet. So that's exciting. That's coming up in just over half an hour so stay tuned and of course the holidays are upon us so that means the season of giving many of us are looking to curb our consumption and give meaningful gifts that make a positive difference so that often means giving to charity in a little bit we'll be discussing some of our favorite charities to give to around this time of year or anytime uh, but first, Allison, you had some thoughts kind of in that same vein. Hey? Yes, I also wanted to talk about giving for the holidays because giving to charities is great. And I think that everyone should do it. And I know that a lot of people do it because they want to get their tax credit for the end of the year. Right. So that's a that's a big reason. But but more so because maybe, you know, we're feeling more generous at this time of the year. I know I certainly am. So I wanted to speak about suggestions that we have on gift giving with animals in mind, sustainability in mind, and basically um, just just everything um, everything balanced in nature. What gifts can we give to our friends and family that are perhaps not the normal consumeristic types of gifts that end up in a landfill or unappreciated or in someone's closet, not mm-hmm. getting used, etc. I really like consumable gifts myself because then I know they have to use them and then they're gone. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> you mean like ed- edible gifts? Yeah, like, yeah. For me, I mean that's the first thing that I I think about is uh, I actually was up all night making brownies for a couple of my gifts. Um, 
two batches totally didn't turn out. Oh, I, no. I followed the recipe, so I had to redo <laughs> it. There was, they were not sweet at all. So that's why I was up way later than I thought I'd be. But, um, but yes, because people love sweet things, yes. and mm-hmm. what better way to do vegan advocacy as well than to basically bake some brownies that uh, taste exactly the same as a regular, you know brownie you wouldn't know the difference it's vegan because you don't need you don't need eggs uh, or dairy to make mm. anything baked so oh, absolutely yeah and i used to do a lot of cookies and if you remember the past i was doing kale chips for a few years right, i think yeah. you were around back then i was yeah. giving everyone kale chips <laughs> um you two got chocolate bars today that yeah, are um, so yeah and uh and those are vegan you know sustainable fair trade chocolate so uh so those are my ideas for right now but i have more but let's hear some of yours um well i have an 11 year old niece and um i'm just gonna assume she's not listening she lives in alaska so i won't spoil her surprise yeah really (laughs) um but this year uh she is a huge fan of harry potter and um yeah they they live in anchorage alaska and i noticed Mm -hmm. that the anchorage symphony is putting on a harry potter concert like with all that music (gasps) in february it's real. So, yeah. I do so that I, too. Um, I look ahead to see what's coming up. Right. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, I won't be able to attend with her, but I went ahead and got her tickets to that concert because I know she loves that music. And I thought it'd be cool to just get, you know, an experience oh. instead of a, you know, she has so many toys and obviously like mm. being yeah. an only child. There's Let's already share a lot memories, stuff not stuff. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I just thought that'd be, it's, it's great to, you know, if you can to give experiences instead of. Yeah. And that's what I want to do for a friend of mine is buy us uh, a reasonably priced concert together so mm-hmm. because we don't get to see each other so this is like a reason to go see each other and it's both like music that we're both gonna like yeah and that's yeah. gonna create a beautiful memory mm-hmm. your time together what about you megan mm-hmm. well this is more about receiving gifts yeah <laughs> But uh, the Save Movement has um, our Wake Up World campaign going on right now, mm-hmm. where we have cards, and I've given them out at um, Edible Flowers, Eternal Abundance, Say Hello Sweets, and Nice Shoes. Mm-hmm. And they're just little cards that you would give your friends and family who aren't vegan, and it says on there that uh, my the, your gift to me is coming to a vigil. I, I or, need one of those yes. for a Christmas gift. Okay, I'm I have some, I have them in my okay. bag, and you know, like also watch Earthlings with me or cook yeah. a that vegan was, meal with yes. me, yeah. and you can also like adjust it to whatever you want. You can right. cross it out and do it, but that's. I, and a person like can't turn yes. that down because yeah, right? it's an invitation to spend time with them, yeah, and it's exactly. and it's in writing, and it's going to be stuck on their fridge until yeah. <laughs> until it's used. It's, yeah. it's like a coupon. Like yeah, exactly. get to spend time with me at a chicken vigil, watching yes. the chickens going to the slaughterhouse, yeah. so that you stop eating chicken. Right. <laughs> I've I've asked people to watch Earthlings and yeah, Prosperity you do that at your, at your birthday, yeah. usually right? my yeah, birthday. You yeah, you do do that, yeah, yeah. for sure, and I it's good. It yeah, it's that. like effective I because find. some people do will do it for sure yeah that's, that's great yeah if you say yeah. it's, it'll, it would be a gift to me if you do yes. this yeah, my, my like, sister asked that for her birthday gift for her husband or an- wedding anniversary gift like five years ago and he still hasn't done it so oh no nice <laughs> She'll be she'll be listening to this sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> better late than never. Hopefully, and and another uh, speaking of experiences, if if I was in town here in Vancouver, a gift I would like to give someone, also kind of like a coupon, like I'm giving you a gift of um, we're going to go to visit an animal sanctuary. Mm-hmm. 
what better gift that could be during the holidays, yeah. right? Sort of when you have time to relax, you have time to uh, enjoy yourself, and you have time to meet beautiful animals who are living their happiest lives ever. They've been rescued from horrible agriculture industry or whatever other industries that there are, and you get to spend time with these animals mm-hmm. and, and perhaps even pick up their poop for them if you're right. really yeah. lucky. Cause, yeah, because I, there's, there's, <laughs> I hear there's good luck in goat poop, so collect as much as you can. You can stuff some uh, stockings with it. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But no, really, um, I've I've seen some pictures of you recently with those little goats at the Happy Herd. They're getting bigger. They're getting bigger. And I know you knew the original ones. I remember those ones being babies. Well, I mean, both of you have been around for longer than I have. And I I start, like, Happy Herd is what actually, like, fully tipped me over the edge to not consume any products five just over five years ago that's even knowing that is even a better christmas gift for suggestion for our listeners Mm -hmm. to know that that is an experience that could be Mm life-changing for your loved ones yeah Yeah. okay we have one minute left so i've got a list anyone want to shoot something out um, well, I think maybe you were talking. You were going to mention this too, but calendars. Yes. Oh, oh, right. oh yes. Calendars, because all sanctuaries have calendars. And then I ordered these two because the cranky vegan told me to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or he posted about it. Okay. okay. Um, it's certain days is the organization, and it's the 2020 Freedom for Political Prisoners calendar. Oh. And they do them every year, and it has. Um, um, yeah, I got two, so I'm going to give one to my brother, and. It has, you know, all of this information about political prisoners. I haven't looked at it fully, but it might be more focused on the U.S. or worldwide, but also on the calendar on certain dates it will mark down. On this day, so-and-so was arrested, like the Black Panthers uh-huh. was arrested, da-da-da-da-da. Oh, cool. So it's really... I love that idea, yeah. and I have a calendar gift idea coming up, but we're going to do that in our next segment. Mm, Thanks, yeah, everyone, for that. All right, Megan, you have the news for us today. Yes, I do. Woo! Um, So the first story I found was from CBC News from yesterday, and it is the... um title is the supreme court dismisses case involving lucy the elderly elephant and this is in edmonton Um, the supreme court of canada will not hear a case involving an ailing 44 year old elephant named lucy for years zoo canada has raised concerns about lucy who has been housed at the edmonton valley zoo since 1977 the group says the zoo is violating provincial standards by keeping her isolated from her own species and failing to provide her with a facility that meets her biological and behavioral needs. Um, yeah, and Zuchek's lawyer, Stephen Panunto, said the organization wanted the province to impose conditions on the zoo's permit to force compliance. Mm-hmm. The top court dismissed their appeal application Thursday morning, and as is custom, the Supreme Court did not give a reason for dismissing the case. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm just getting emotional just reading this. Yeah. It's so, so horrible. sad about Lucy. It's unbelievable that they would keep an elephant in solitary confinement for so long. Mm-hmm. Elephants are obviously social animals. Yeah. They what, live in... What's the reasoning? Any idea? Because I think zoos are going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I mean, There's no, been a the, lot of public outrage over this yeah. case for years. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I know. And it just... the Because, yeah, the zoo check has fought unsecessfully for more than a decade to mm-hmm. have Lucy moved to a wildlife sanctuary to a warmer climate but 
uh, the Supreme Court has already refused to hear the related case in 2012. Right. And they may, the zoo maintains that Lucy is treated well and that she's continually monitored by in-house and outside veterinarians. Wow. They're never truly treated well if they don't have companions. Yeah, of they're course. Very, they're extremely familial animals yeah. and they need to be in their, their herds of elephants. That's true. They have live out their proper yeah. lives. In the wild, they're, they mm-hmm. stay with their social groups for life, right? Yeah. And, and, and their family. Their families. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. So this is just getting me um, kind of pumped up to for the new year starting to do some greater Vancouver Zoo um, activism because that's been a little bit in limbo Yes, mm-hmm. right. And, and I, I saw your pictures the, uh, yesterday yeah, that you posted. Yeah, I posted all the videos that I got a couple they're, years ago. I yeah. put sad faces on all of them. Oh, they're no. All really, mm-hmm. They're all really depressing. Yeah. But thanks for, for capturing no. that. Yeah, yes. Um, okay. Now, this one I was very excited to see Yeah, <laughs> from Plant Based News uh, from this morning. And the title is, 43% of vegans quote unquote would never eat at McDonald's says poll huh. <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah I like, mean this is just in one area it's like oh. while fast food chains are beginning to offer more plant based options for many vegans the reliance on animal exploitation is too much to overcome the big vegan survey 2019 carried out by magazine vegan food and living quizzed more than 8,300 people on the vegans um on their preferences when it comes to the best retailers and eateries for plant-based food and the worst. For many vegans, even if fast food chains offer plant-based options, their reliance on animal exploitation, as well as many chains' checkered histories when it comes to animal abuse, and I'll also mention human rights violations mm-hmm. with their workers yeah. um, means eateries like McDonald's should not be supported. A vegan activist named Sarah told Blamp plant-based news. She boycotts fast food chains like McDonald's and Burger King, as well as a slew of other outlets for this very reason. And she says, it's not just about the components in the meal, it's about the company I am buying from. McDonald's kills millions of animals every year, so even if I invest in animal-free foods, I'm still giving money to a corporation that benefits from killing animals. Mm. Um, And I just found this so interesting um, because to be honest I am leaning on that side of things too like Mm. I I do know that it's great that we have options out there for folks who don't have those options like in small towns and stuff but um, for me having these plant-based options in these places are for us the vegans Mm. it's there's no change in the um, meat consumption by the others or okay. maybe it's not but quite as much a lot of meat eaters are buying those a and yeah burgers. i think it's i think it's mostly yeah. non-vegans who are buying them i feel like the the vegan population is so small i don't know if we'd be able to mm-hmm. support it completely yeah. but yeah, yeah but you i mean you might be right it's mm-hmm. mostly the vegan community that is interested mm-hmm. in it, mcdonald's is one of the it's like the second closest eatery to my place ah Oh yeah. Haven't been there since the late 1990s just to try a veggie burger that they yeah. had which right. they discontinued. Right, uh, yes. And uh, and I was and we had some friends and I we we would protest there regularly mm. <laughs> and, uh, because of the McLibel trial something I oh, won't gosh, go into yes. right now so yes. from a long time ago and th- based on things that you've just spoken about human mm. rights and we made it on the cover of the Victoria Times Colonist oh, one day. Cool. <laughs> so that's my history from uh, from mm-hmm. 20 years ago or 25 years ago or so when I was young. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, don't get me wrong, like this is all, like it's great. Like mm-hmm. I went and got the nuggets 
last from week. AW, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, you know, just because I wanted yeah. to try them. Yeah, they're pretty good. But <laughs> you know, to put it into a category of yes, we're winning is kind of something that I would invite people to question and, yeah. and think a little critically about. It's complicated. For yeah, sure. it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I have oopsies. I have one more little fun thing. Okay. <laughs> um, and this is from Veg News from yesterday, um, and it says world's first vegan burrito restaurant for squirrels opens in Kentucky. Oh my gosh, <laughs> a restaurant so, for squirrels? Yeah. So it's squirrel, squirrel, squirrels burrito. <laughs> Helps the area's underserved squirrel population during wintertime with a selection of vegan menu options served al fresco on a tiny patio table. <laughs> yes. Oh, I the, yeah, I was really... I we was, should post that on our Facebook. Yeah, so visuals. yeah, it's pretty funny. Oh, well, there's the video of the little squirrels going up and like eating and taking little pieces. But the eatery is a replica of Girls, Girls, Girls' Lexington, Kentucky restaurant. And oh, and it's called Squirrel, Squirrel, Squirrel. Yes, <laughs> yes. So it's just That's in behind great. their restaurant in like a forested area, and it's just like a little kind of, I guess, diorama type thing of, and it says Squirrel, Squirrel, Squirrels with two little um, pa- uh, patio picnic tables. Oh, um, and then they like they made special menu items: the trash squirrel burrito, organic <laughs> peanut puree with sunflower and pumpkin and seed granola. Vegan tacos belada, which is toasted acorn and almond butter, mm-hmm. and then CBD bandito quesadilla, a cannabis-free <laughs> blend of cashew butter and dried dates. Wow! So I just because I love burritos, yeah. <laughs> I just saw this and, was, and just saw a little picture of the squirrel. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. Oh, but then I also kind of questioned, like, should we be feeding? The wildlife. Yeah, yeah. No, good question. Good question. Yes. Maybe there's some balance to be had there, but yeah, definitely mm-hmm. don't want to get um, free living yeah. animals too reliant yeah. on humans for food, for sure. Yeah. But it's, totally. it's a cute idea. Yeah, you totally. have to see my picture of a squirrel eating my tofu. Oh, and then you'll be nice. convinced otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is up one day. And there's a video too. Yeah, cool. Oh, cute. Well, um, it, we have to move on now, but mm-hmm. I wanted to discuss um, sort of in line with what we were talking about before. Um, you know, obviously the holiday season is upon us. And many of us like to give to charity for the holidays for various reasons. Um, it's a great gift, I find, to uh, donate to charity in someone's name um, or, you know, in, in honor of somebody who's passed or, you know, there's all kinds of options. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to talk about some of our favorite charities to donate to around this time of year. Um, would one of you like to start? Do you have ideas, Megan? To- uh, sure. I'll continue talking. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one that I just discovered because we um, collected donations at our last Vancouver Chicken Save LGBTQ um, workshop for this organization. It's the Urban Native Youth Association, mm-hmm. and it is the Center of Indigenous Youth Excellence, supporting youth on their journeys by amplifying and celebrating their voices. And their mission, their vision is. to empower Indigenous youth leading and inspiring all nations. Um, It was formed in 1988 to address concerns facing Indigenous youth at a time when growing numbers of young people began leaving reserves for the city. Um, And they just do all sorts of amazing, amazing things. And curiously enough, or uh, it's basically Kitty Cordoner from Hallmark where they're 
So it's so oh the, the Hallmark slaughterhouse, hey? Yeah, yes, she's yes, from yes, Hallmark slaughterhouse. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's something new that I've just discovered that I think is so important with just supporting Indigenous. Yeah. Folks and communities. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. super cool. Um, I have a few that I wanted to spotlight. One that mm. I have donated to for the holidays a number of times is A Well-Fed World. Mm. Um, and according to their website, A Well-Fed World is a food security and environmental advocacy organization advancing plant-based foods and farming to create a sustainable and hunger-free world that maximizes health and minimizes harm. That's kind of their elevator pitch, I guess. But yeah, basically mm. they... Um, go to communities where hunger is a persistent issue and they solve these problems with delicious, nutritious, plant-based meals. Um, And they have various uh, programs, you know, all sort of... um, De- uh, dedicated to getting healthy plant-based foods to communities around the world that are hungry and underserved. So mm-hmm. it's a great organization. Um, awellfedworld.org is their website if you want to check it out and look into what they're about. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend it. We've had them on the show at least two times. That's too. right, yeah. You can go on our archives at animalvoices.org to learn more. They're working on a lot of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. They've got some great programs on right now. Um, and one that I donated to this year, actually I gave us as a gift to my mom and her partner. Um, The organization is called A Living Tribute, and they have two versions of their site. They have a U.S. one and a Canadian one. Um, The Canadian one is alivingtribute.ca. And basically, you can plant a tree or a grove of trees in Canada or, you know, wherever you want um, in honor of somebody or in memory of somebody. So you can um, have them plant however many trees you select and then they'll send a card to the recipient um, in their honor. So that's a lovely thing and I thought it was um, appropriate to our show because obviously you know having more trees is so important to the health of the planet and trees are habitat for animals you know basically planting trees for animals is kind of like building homes for humans. It's so important um, especially with the amount of deforestation that there is in the world now. So, yep. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of a cool gift. And um, I always research charities before I donate, which I have to emphasize is extremely important. Mm. There's There are kind mm-hmm. of sketchy, fraudulent ones out there. It's really important to look up a charity. And, you know, Charity Navigator is a great website to kind of see their rating and, like, how their oh. funding is distributed. Yeah, because oh, some cool. of them use their funding in efficient ways and other ones really don't so um yeah it's definitely good to look those up and i also wanted to briefly mention the borneo orangutan society of canada or sorry borneo orangutan society canada um our featured guest dr ann russin the interview is coming up in just a few minutes um is the executive director and yeah this is a registered canadian charity founded to support orangutan conservation and to raise awareness of the serious threat to orangutan survival. Um, so yeah, if you want to help save the orangutans, mm-hmm. their website is orangutan.ca. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Allison? You had some as well. Yes, it's my turn. So I have uh, I have several here. One of the charitable organizations, or I should say several charitable organizations that are close to my heart are because I've been working here at uh, Vancouver Co-op Radio in this area, in the downtown east side for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely uh, not something that you can ignore, that the poverty and the um, the drug use that happens in this 
part mm-hmm. of the city. And I know uh, Megan and I have gone several times to do some outreach in the streets in this area just mm-hmm. to give people food that they need, should be eating, you know, nutritious food and nourishing and clothes and other items. So I would like to just say this can apply to basically anywhere that you live in Canada or in North America because homelessness and, and this type of poverty is kind of rampant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, check out your local shelters for one thing. Yeah. Um, I donated two, I think, actually, I think it turned out to be about 400 pillows to some of the shelters for mm-hmm. my work. Um, and they really appreciated that. I had a tour of the First United Church, which is now completely uh, transformed into a men's um, shelter. I think it's just oh. for men. And they have, they have uh, b- uh, like, big rooms, like dorm styles, where the men sleep. And so when I knew that these pillows were coming up, I thought, well, yeah, that's uh, I'm going to redirect them there because otherwise they were going to go into the landfill. So I'm really glad that I yeah. had the opportunity to do that. So please check out your local homeless shelters. Some that I like to donate here are the uh, the Women's Eastside Resource Center, which is right beside us at Co-op Radio. Only women allowed there, but I go mm-hmm. in there quite often to donate items. And um, Akira is another women's uh, uh, Akira, it's called. And I think that's on Powell Street, just a few blocks down. And the Wish Foundation, which is very close to it. Those are also women's uh, charities. And and like I said, the First United Church. Those are ones that I just personally have contact with. And now now a new one as of last week, the Overdose Overdose Prevention Society, which is just pretty much across the street from Co-op Radio at 60 East Hastings Street. Mm -hmm. They are doing a fundraiser right now for the dogs of the downtown east side which i thought was appropriate for our show so they're doing a calendar fundraiser they've made this beautiful calendar i i have it actually my car it's all wrapped up because it's going to be a gift and they um they are using this little calendar $15 each to go straight towards proceeds to helping the dogs with their vet funds so Mm -hmm. these are all the dogs that you see people on the streets that are their companions and in the calendar there's pictures of all the dog like each dog with their human guardian Mm -hmm. quite touching I love seeing the photos Mm -hmm. and knowing that it's going towards a good cause and uh, we we don't hear much about how, how these dogs are like how you know how do you, how do they pay for their vet bills and that? Mm-hmm. I'm glad to see there's an initiative coming. So, um, do we have time for the last uh, charity or? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to briefly mention one more that I thought of. Um, Food Empowerment Project is another yes. charity that I'm super into. Um, it's a it's a basically a vegan food justice charity. Um, they do a lot of work around. Um, getting healthy food to low-income areas, um, kind of educating people about plant-based food and, you know, making healthier choices and um, helping people to grow their own fruits and vegetables and also fighting for the rights of farm workers and um, and slaughterhouse workers. So that's a great one. Their website is foodispower.org if you want to check out and see what 
they're about. And it looks like right now they've got some sponsorships, so all donations are matched right now up to right. $50,000. Yes. So, yes. yeah, your donation can go a really long way, which is super cool. And we've had them on the show before as well. That's they right, speak, yeah. They speak a lot about human rights yes. conditions and how that uh, how that plays out in producing food. Yes, so, Lauren Ornelas is yeah. the executive director. Check yeah, out our exactly. website, animalvoices.org. So finally, I mean, we do have some other ones, but time is tight here. But mm-hmm. finally, our dear listeners, our last charitable organization recommendation for you to make a gift donation to is the Animal Voices Show. <laughs> so in case you didn't know, yes, the radio station from which we broadcast, which is 100.5 FM, Co-op Radio in Vancouver, Canada, is a registered charitable organization. And we rely slowly on your donations to be able to stay on the air to provide you weekly quality programming on a myriad of issues about animals and the vegan lifestyle and we really do work hard on it to provide you with Mm. this information as education and advocacy for the animals which would otherwise go unheard over mainstream and corporately funded radio airwaves none of the crew here at animal voices gets paid for what we do we are all volunteers and so that means that your donation dollars go straight to the overhead fees that are associated with logistically putting this show on the air in this radio station there's lots of expenses for rent and equipment and broadcasting and that so we hope that you will find it in your hearts this holiday season to make a donation of any size to co-op radio and you can do that by going to coopradio.org clicking on the donate button on the homepage, and then indicating that your uh, donation is for animal voices at co-op radio so thank you and happy holidays Mm You're listening to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM CFRO, Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded Coast Salish territories. So here are the events for this week. Today, this evening actually, um, December 20th, um, Kind Cafe is having a holiday market called Kinda Last Minute Holiday Market. <laughs> Cute. Um, from 5 to 9 p.m. at the Kind Cafe 308 Main Street. There'll be some rad vendors there, and the cafe and menu will be open throughout the night. Um, and then another little um, holiday pop-up is from this weekend, December 20th to 22nd, at the Juice Truck on Main Street, The their plant-based holiday market pop-up. And I went to the one last year. It was really, oh, was cool. really great. Yeah, I think I'm going to check it out. Yeah, and so their hours, um, today they're open from 9.30 to 5.30, Saturday 9 to 7, and then Sunday 9 to 6. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and that's at the Juice Truck, right? Yes, at the Juice Truck on Main Street, 4236 Main Street. So right next door. Yeah. So if you're going tonight, just hit them all up. Um, and tomorrow, actually, I just found out about this. It's so cool. Uh, it's the the twenty first. Oh, I'm rambling. Sorry, guys. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Beyond the Blue Box Recycling at Britannia. Every third Saturday of the month, Britannia Center sponsors a plastics recycling depot in the back parking lot of Britannia, where recyclers can dispose of the plastic items that the city of Vancouver can't take. Pacific Mobile Depots, uh, PMD, based in Victoria, collects plastics and other materials and sells them to small BC factories to repurpose. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also tomorrow, Saturday, December 21st, is the DXE um, and Horse Labor in Vancouver protest. 
It's from 11.40 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Vancouver Rowing Club, 450 Stanley Park Drive. And on Thursday, Boxing Day, December 26th, there's a Cube of Truth uh, th- fr- with uh, A.V. Langley from 1 to 4 p.m. at Surrey Central Station, 135 Street, Surrey. Right. A.V. stands for Anonymous right. for the Voiceless. Right? Yeah. Yes, it does. Can you tell us what a Cube of Truth is, just for listeners who might not know? Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is kind of a, an art installation they say um people hold up tvs and computers with masks on in a formation of a cube with um and it's showing slaughterhouse footage and Mm -hmm. then there are folks who are doing outreach to engage with folks who walk by Mm -hmm. and yeah and so similar to that um jeff from TV Outreach for Animals is having a big Veganuary campaign um, where he does kind of the same thing, but he's doing the big screen like he's he's got this big big sheet like uh-huh. huge that he people hold up and they project um, animal cruelty slaughterhouse footage uh-huh. um, and yeah on there's four of them on December 26th 27th 29th and 31st all at 4 p.m. and he says let's finish off 2019 uh, and inspire people to make veganism one of their New Year's resolutions mm-hmm. so on December 26th they'll be at the City Hall Skytrain Station at Camby and Broadway on Friday December 27th they'll be at the City Center Skytrain Station at Granville in Georgia and then Sunday December 29th they'll be at Burrard Station and Monday December 31st they'll be at the Commercial Broadway Skytrain Station all of those it starts at 4pm cool yeah wow that's exciting yeah, let's post fun. some of these on our Facebook sure they're hard to remember there's oh, a lot of, of course. events My coming goodness. up yeah, yeah. And I, I was surprised because it's right over Christmas so I, I thought know. there won't be very many but woo yeah it's mm-hmm. a busy time of the year that's great well thank you very much for that mm-hmm. Megan And moving on, my guest today is Canadian psychologist and primatologist, Dr. Anne Russin. She is a researcher and professor of psychology at York University in Toronto, whose work focuses on learning and intelligence in ex-captive Bornean orangutans. Dr. Russin is widely published in the fields of primate behavior and ecology, is executive director of the Borneo Orangutan Society of Canada, and is the author of several books on great apes. She was awarded the President's Research Excellence Award at York University in 2017 and the Pongo Environmental Award this year. Uh, Hello, Dr. Russin, and welcome to Animal Voices. Hello, and thank you very much for calling. I'm delighted you're interested in orangutans. Yes, we're so happy to have you. Um, So first of all, can you tell me about this show, um, the Orangutan Jungle School, that you're the lead script advisor for? Um, What is the premise of the show, and what has it been like being lead script advisor? Um, well, the, the premise of the show, this is actually the fourth of a series of similar programs, basically masterminded by Judith Curran at the New Zealand Natural History Unit. Um, I come in to try and keep them honest, <laughs> but, but they're conceptualizing it largely. And uh, the idea is to take a look at ex-captive orangutans and some wild ones as well who are being cared for in in basically sanctuaries 
because basically we've done terrible things to them. We've killed infants' mothers, we've injured them, we've done awful things to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what these places try to do is help those, these orangutans, the ones that, are, that can do it, to go back to resume a life in the forest if they can find safe forests to do it and if the orangutans can manage uh, to, to go back on their own. Uh, the first couple of uh, programs in the series talked about juvenile and adolescent orangutans that were already in enough, independent enough to be moved to islands where they had a little support but were basically living on their own. Orangutan Jungle School, this is the second, is now about the little guys, the littleies mm-hmm. they sometimes call them, yeah. <laughs> mostly about the littleies. Uh, so it shows a lot about how they look after some of these tiny little orangutans and try and help them get started in a life where they clearly have to depend on humans, but try to get back them back, get them back into the forest, and get them integrated with other orangutans, so they at least know something about what being with orangutans and living in the forest is like. And then, hopefully, you can let them go in the forest, and they have a sort of a community to come with them. Yeah, that's that's so amazing. I had the opportunity to watch um, the season two premiere. I was sent a screener, and um, yeah, it's delightful. I I don't think there's anything cuter than a baby orangutan in the entire world. Uh, Oh yeah, and there's nothing funnier than a juvenile or an adolescent. You wait until you see some of the later episodes. They're so funny. (laughs) Um, So, in your research, you have been closely following Alba, the only known albino orangutan on the planet, which is so special. Um, What can you tell us about? Um, well, yeah, she's the only one that's known. Um, she was found or reported by local villagers. Uh, they had probably been keeping her illegally, but they always make up some story about, oh, well, we just found her yesterday. Uh, no one knows what happens, but happened, but they found her, and very fortunately, rehab people or law enforcement people found out about her and managed to get her moved to uh, to the, the Boss Foundation uh, rehabilitation site. So uh, she was already something like about five years old, already a juvenile. Um, she went to the rehab center. She took to it like ducks to water. She played with the other orangutans. Uh, she put on a lot of weight. She did really, really well. And about, I think it's about a year, I've forgotten, it's a year, yeah, yeah, year, a bit over a year, I think, ago, that they uh, they released her into an area of of native forest, in a protected forest. So she is now on her way to going back to a life in the wild. That's so amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, and I've seen photos of her. She's absolutely striking with white hair and blue eyes. Um, does yeah. her unusual appearance make her vulnerable? Oh, yeah. In fact, that's one of the, one of the, 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 the really big scares about her is um, she'd be very visible in the forest. She's white, for heaven's sake. You can mm-hmm. see her <laughs> very easily. Yeah. Uh, other orangutans, you know, we think of them as being bright orange, so they should be really easily visible. But when they're in the forest, in the trees, and it's shady, they just look like lumps of old dead wood. Wow. You can't yeah. see them. It's amazing. I mean, they're, they're huge. and I've almost tripped over orangutans a couple of times oh because I didn't see them. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Now, the other thing that's a big problem for her is her vision. 
Uh, Because she lacks pigmentation, her eyes are very sensitive. Right. And one of the things she does is when she when she she's in the sun, she puts her hands over her eyes where, the way that we would if we're walking. We don't have a hat and it's sunny. Right. And the real concern is, you know, if you're living in the trees, you need to have very good vision to be able to see little fruits that you want to eat, uh, to be able to judge distance between trees if you have to move between them. So not having good vision, you, you get you really worry about her. Absolutely, mind you. You know, she made it till she was five or six, so more power to her. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. That's that's so interesting because I think that happens in uh, humans with albinism too. The the yeah. eyesight often isn't very good. So, yeah. wow. So has albinism ever been observed in orangutans before or are there any theories as to how this came about for Alba? Uh, there are no known reports of albinism in orangutans before. There was one very famous gorilla, Snowflake, mm-hmm. who was in Spain. Uh, an albino gorilla. That's the only one that I know of. As to how it came about, I mean, obviously it's very rare, however you think about it. Uh, it's transmitted uh, genetically, and it's a recessive gene. Mm-hmm. So you only, you know, you can be carrying the albinism gene in you, but it never shows up because it's recessive. The only way you'll be an albino yourself is if you end up with two copies of that recessive gene. Now, how would that possibly happen? It's an extremely rare gene to have. In humans, it only shows up in one, of, one in about 17,000 to 20,000 people. So, mm. you know, you don't run across it every day of the, of the week. Yeah. Uh, in orangutans, normally, even if two individuals had the same gene, you would assume if they were related, they might carry the same gene. But males move away from areas where their female relatives are when they hit maturity, so they by choice you know they don't want to mate with their female relatives mm-hmm. so it should be really rare yeah. yeah how did it happen well you know the problems of uh orangutan habitat disappearing are resulting in there being tiny little islands of forest where orangutans get stuck so my guess is that what happened is alba's mother mated with a male that she was related to, closely related to. And that happened because neither the males nor the females have much place else they can go anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the most reasonable explanation I can come up with for it because... uh, Otherwise, it's never been never been reported anywhere before. Right. Yeah, and certain you know current conditions for orangutan habitat are so terrible that, that it's easy to easy to imagine orangutans caught in some little areas and basically can't go anywhere else because there is nowhere else to go. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's um, that's so interesting. So you're the executive director of the Borneo Orangutan Society of Canada. Can you tell us a bit about this organization? What is its mission and what kind of work is it focused on? Well, you know, we're probably like most of the other orangutan conservation organizations. Um, what we try to do is anything we can, we have the skills or the resources uh, for that could support orangutan conservation, uh, raise awareness of the threats to their survival, uh, what's extraordinarily interesting about them and why we should protect them. Um, try and improve uh, conditions in the forest that they're living in, so either provide more protection for them or try to help reforest them. 
uh, stuff that we do in Canada. Obviously, we can't do a lot of orangutan protection right here in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of what we do here is education and fundraising. So we circulate uh, interesting articles. We have a newsletter we send around, uh, obviously do fundraising, and then we provide grants and fund some work in areas uh, where there are orangutans to groups who are doing either research that's conservation-oriented or, the re- or, the, or doing direct conservation themselves. Wonderful. Yeah, so um, going back to your own research, I'm wondering what drove your decision to focus your research on ex-captive orangutans as opposed to, say, (laughs) captive apes or um, those who were born and raised in the wild? Well, you know, like everybody, it was a long and windy road. Yeah. (laughs) I had a very unusual opportunity as a Canadian to study infant chimpanzees uh, for my Ph.D., Mm. And I thought, how many times you get to do that as a Canadian? I've got to do it. I love the chimps, and I just hated captivity. Mm-hmm. It was just awful to see. You know, when they were really small, they had lots of opportunities to do stuff and people to take care of them. But the older they got and the bigger and stronger they got, the more they were restricted till basically they couldn't go outside and nobody could be in with them. So it was Aww. just an awful thing. It was like seeing your family locked up yeah. in the in the pit or some sort. So... I love great apes, wanted to study them, but I thought, well, obviously the thing to do is study them in the wild rather than in captivity. I'd always planned to go to Africa because, you know, there's Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey, Mm -hmm. but it turns out I went to Indonesia before I went to Asia or Africa, and I actually went to Brute Gallicus's research site. She was the equivalent of Jane Goodall for orangutans, and she offered me the opportunity to come and do some research there. So I did, and I was going to study wild orangutans, but when I got there, there were a lot of ex-captives just roaming around freely uh, in the forest and in the camp area. And watching them, I just found them a hundred times more interesting than the wild ones. Wow. And I think it's because being in a camp area and having spent so much time with humans, they kind of speak human. Right. So I understood a lot more about what they were doing mm-hmm. than I that I understood that I could possibly at that point have understood about their life in the in the wild. They were also very easy to find because they typically hung around the camp. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they just turned out to be fascinating. I mean, there was one who made a fire. Scary that. Wow. <laughs> made a fire. They used to take boats. They used to unto under the camp boats and take them for rides across the river. Sometimes oh they'd ride them across the river, tie them up, go and do what they wanted, come back, untie them, and then come back over wow. again. Uh, some of them liked to uh, help with construction when it was going on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. So, so uh, it's the sort of stuff, you watch it, and it just it knocks your socks off. <laughs> Yeah, they're so smart. They're so yeah. intelligent. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering when captive orangutans are set free, how easy is it for them to adapt to life in the wild, and what is typically done to help them with this? Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, of course, if they've been captive since very early in life and have basically no memory or experience of living in the forest, um, they're very unlikely to do well. I mean, can you imagine what mm-hmm. it would be like if I took you and threw you into a forest and said, have a nice life? Right. Yeah. Um, they're, they're very long-lived, and they're like us. They've got big brains, and they're learning species, so they got to acquire all kinds of knowledge. And they've got to learn to live with other orangutans, and they have to learn to climb trees. If they lived in people's houses, they probably walked on the floor and 
slept in beds. Mm-hmm. So the learning and the expertise that's required to make a successful life in the forest is, is enormous. Um, so what you have to do with ex-captives is provide, as I say, these, these things like orangutan jungle school. Yes. They, they, the, the ones that work are ones that are in areas that already, uh, you know, that the research, uh, sorry, the rehab centers are in areas that are right in or very near to wild orangutan habitat. So you've got forest areas that are like the kind of area that they'll eventually move into. And then what you have to do, like in orangutan jungle school, uh, for at least for the little wee ones, uh, people have to take them out in the morning and take them to the forest, like a little, a little play forest where they can't hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to provide extra food for them because they can't find enough on their own. And then you've got to bring them back in the evening and put them in a safe place to sleep at night mm-hmm. because uh, they'll do things like sleep on the ground. Uh, sometimes if they're out in the forest on their own, they think they're big kids and they're great and they're going to stay in the forest. And then as soon as everybody's get gone, they get scared. Oh. <laughs> and come down. Yeah. And can get lost. Oh, no. So... It, it needs a lot of supervised care to try and help them learn about the forest. And, of course, the big thing is, as humans, we are lousy teachers to orangutans. Hmm. I mean, I know nothing about trying to climb through the... I can watch it a lot, but I don't know how to climb through the trees by an orangutan, and I'm not very good at identifying the kinds of foods that would attract them. Mm-hmm. So they have to do a lot of the learning on their own. And the rehab places basically try to set it up so that they're in a protected area while they're doing the learning, and there's backup to help them when they get into troubles. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great to see on the show on Orangutan Jungle School the different things that they're doing with the, with the little orangutans. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and, you know, it's, it's a lot like our schools. You start in a nursery school and mm-hmm. then you go to grade school and then you go to high school. That's right. Yeah, they have different, different levels. They have different Same grades. Same stuff. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so great. Um, so do you have any thoughts on how palm oil production is affecting Bornean orangutans and their homes, their habitat? Well, terrible and getting worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure most people these days are probably aware of the conservation problems worldwide of relying on uh, palm oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it damages huge areas of tropical rainforest habitat. Uh, it's not just orangutans that are affected. It's all of the wildlife that, that, that lives there. And not only that, it really badly affects native peoples. Mm-hmm. Uh, the native peoples that normally live there, they, they find they don't have good water anymore. Um, things like uh, seasonal changes are now happening. Things are drying out when they didn't used to dry out. Uh, rivers are dirty when they didn't used to be dirty. Uh, so the effects aren't only on orangutans. They're on anybody that lives in areas where oil palms are grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like there's much chance to stem the tide because uh, palm oil appears to be a very excellent oil for all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. In terms of our human uses of it, we are very pleased with it because it, it is, is it's functional for a lot of different things, yeah. and it's relatively easy and fast to grow. Right. So the chance that the commercial world is going to turn away from it, I mean, I certainly hope they do, mm-hmm. 
but it's obviously a very difficult situation because it is such an advantageous crop in other ways. Right. Yeah. I'm wondering, uh, what can average citizens do to help with this? Does it help to boycott palm oil, or are there other uh, things we can do? Or? You, you can try, mm-hmm. um, and try to make use of alternate uh, alternate consumer goods. Um, you know, certainly some... Some of the products that contain palm oil have to report that there's palm oil in their products, and you can see it. Mm-hmm. Trouble is, I think even in Canada, the percentage of palm oil or the percentage of, a, of an ingredient in a product has to be above a certain percent before you have to write it down. So even if you try like mad to be meticulous in avoiding uh, palm oil, you may not be, to be able to do it because it is, in fact, in things that, that you use that you can't know about. Right. Wow. So, so I, yeah, I complaining, boycotting if you can, uh, contributing to anything that supports alternative uses of areas that are now, uh, now under oil palm plantation control or could be converted back into something... Uh, more appropriate. I mean, I think those are all things that we can at least try to do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and what are some other things that we and our listeners can do to help orangutans and stop the destruction of their homes? Uh, well, don't buy the palm oil or other goods that come from that, that amount to resource extraction. Uh Especially there are things like, I mean, as individuals, it's very difficult to manage. But surprisingly enough, it may uh, appear to you, Borneo is very much like Canada. Hmm. It's the same place. It's just tropical. Wow. But it's all sedimentary, so that means there is coal, oil, gas, diamonds, asphalt, all of the kinds of underground re- uh, resources that we find in Canada, we find in Borneo. So there are many, many uh, resources that uh, come from Borneo that are, as we collect them, we're destroying the place. Right. Uh, so certainly Canadians are aware of a lot of the kinds of things we would get from Borneo. And uh, the aim would be to try and ensure that things that you consume uh, either don't include those products or don't include products that come from areas where orangutans are living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that insight. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Um, <laughs> Dr. Ann Russin, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on Animal Voices today and sharing your experience and insights with us. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks a lot, and I certainly hope you all enjoy Orangutan Jungle School. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We've been speaking with primatologist and orangutan expert Dr. Ann Russin, lead script advisor for the new docuseries Orangutan Jungle School. You can catch Orangutan Jungle School on Sundays at 8 p.m. on Love Nature. You've been listening to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM, Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, unceded Coast Salish territories. Join us next Friday, December 27th at noon. Next week, we'll be replaying one of our most popular recent shows for you, Spotlighting Indigenous Vegans with Sierra Tossie Baker of the Squamish Nation. We here at Animal Voices want to connect with you online. Visit our website, animalvoices.org, where you can stream past shows and download them as podcasts. You can also see our show blog there with detailed links and subscribe to us on iTunes. 
Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver and on Twitter at Animal Voices YVR. We are also currently looking for volunteers to help with producing and hosting shows, website maintenance, social media, and more. If you have any of these skills or a willingness to learn and you're passionate about animal advocacy, shoot us an email at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com. And now we'll leave you with a song. Here's San Francisco rapper Z-Man, who was a guest on Animal Voices just last month with a brand new, as yet unreleased track called Turkey Song. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you for listening to Animal Voices today. Happy holidays from all of us. And remember to be kind to the animals. Now, check this out. This might be a little bizarre, but... Yeah, check it out. First of all, what the hell a turkey ever do to you? Not a nothing. But you cut them, gut them, rush them to the oven with a lot of stuffing. You either bought them or you snuffed them because you say that you love them and never saw them suffering. So fuck them, then it's November the 4th Thursday. You in a hurry to eat turkey. White meat, so don't worry. It's a wonderful sacrifice and claim it's humane. Nah, man, this creature was a slave. Young raised in an insane way you think it's normal. The terrifying exhaust these birds is horrible. Domesticated, mutilated, artificially inseminated. Got them under situations at the dinner table celebrating massacre and make it look sweet with pumpkin pie throw up a first sweet potato every time let me rhyme shit don't complain i'm here to save lives you eating honey ham with the pineapple slice sludge blood in your veins with the tryptophan little kids draw turkeys tracing around their hand and goddamn i ain't living like it's thanksgiving but give me tofurkey and let the birds keep living 300 million dollars for this holiday holocaust Still is going on, and every turkey you sacrifice had a life to be living, but you could carry it all. Ain't no love for the turkey except for the taste. You love it, love it, except for them red flaps on his face, which is called a snood. Off with the head and turn the food, cause nobody gives a fuck what turkeys gotta do unless it's turkey stew with rice, vegetables maybe, and a big support for death. Rape and slavery, savory gravy right next to the carcass. Your favorite team are the Redskins, and all year you've been waiting and salivating over the body you bought at the market. Factory farms are heartless and so obnoxious. Pilgrims in camouflage, holding a rifle for a turkey that lives 10 years in the wild. Survival, where are we? 1789, 1863, an indigenous killing spree. Confederate slaves were freed. Thanksgiving proclamation. And to this day, they're eating turkey on these reservations. Rich people get frozen birds every year. The homeless gotta eat some birds are getting killed for real and i ain't even living like it's thanksgiving but give me that tofurkey and keep a bird living 300 million dollars for this holiday holocaust that still is going on and every turkey you sacrifice had a life